Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, we'll look back at another turbulent week in the world of tech with job cuts, the move to Mastodon and further U-turns at Twitter. John Riley has the latest gaming news, including a review of God of War Ragnarok and an update on the PSVR 2. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. Uh, later in the show, we'll take a look at the events taking place during Science Week and get an all-important space update from Neve Shaw. Uh, but we're going to start this week with the job cuts at Meta. Vish Gain of Silicon Republic is with me once again. Uh, Vish, what did you make of the communication and the handling, particularly at the hands of Mark Zuckerberg, of the announcement of the job cuts? Well, Meta had um, some precedents to go on, for instance, Stripe and Twitter last week when they uh, announced their how they were going about with the job cuts. Stripe was quite nice about it, as we know. They were very, um, you, you could see there's a certain level of emotional intelligence in the way Patrick Collison wrote the whole letter talking to the employees. But Twitter went the other way and they decided to be quite, um, you know, uh, very, very rushed with their with their efforts to uh towards the job cuts. So um, I thought overall, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg didn't do a bad job per se, um, but uh, I, I mean, he took ownership of, you know, at least he took ownership for for the um, the fact that they had to cut so many people, 13% off of its staff. He took complete ownership for it and he gave a reason why, which is something that we've known for a while is that the pandemic boom is now over. Um, online commerce is now back to pre-pandemic levels. And so they're not making as much money, but also it comes at a time when there's an economic downturn, um, which has caused uh, tech companies to just end up losing money. And Meta itself particularly has been losing loads of money through investments um, in the metaverse as well as um increased competition from other websites so you know he gave he gave all the right reasons he was very honest about it which i appreciate um so i and and they did go and go ahead with the 30-day consultation period and they did let the department of enterprise know so they they ticked all the boxes overall so i mean from the communication perspective in my opinion was was fine from meta but it's just sad that so many people approximately 350 in dublin at the minute or in ireland at the minute are going to be uh laid off yeah, absolutely. It's the same with last week. You know, it's been a tough two weeks for the tech industry as a whole, as you said, particularly tough on those uh, who have lost their jobs. But also, I don't want to forget the staff that have been left behind. And I think that is something that can be quite difficult. I know many people in this country have experience of being on both sides of that fence. Um, and the reason I started with the communication question is because I think that will matter not only to the staff who were let go, but the staff who are still with the company. I think if you get, you know, clear communication that seems to have a level of empathy when there is tough news, it does make a difference. And do we have any further insight in terms of the roles that have been targeted more so than others within Meta? Um, I think, well, I... What we do know for a fact is that the contractors are not going to be affected at all. So Meta has around 3,000 employees all over Ireland across three different sites. There's Dublin, uh, the, the European headquarters, there's a data centre in County Mead, and then there's Reality Labs, which is where they do all the Metaverse stuff in, in County Cork. Um, but uh, it's only the full-time employees that are going to be uh, affected, not the contractors. Um, approximately 350, as we said earlier. But in terms of roles, um, I'm actually not, 
aware of which specific roles they might be cutting, especially because they have had no public announcement from the company mm. side. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to be, you know, uh, high tech, like software engineering roles necessarily, because, you know, I, I feel like they might need those roles. It's it's a bit like uh, on in, in Twitter, the kind of people that they got rid of was like communications teams and, um, well, interestingly, the human rights teams and stuff like that. The moderation team was affected as well. So um, I wouldn't expect Facebook uh, for Meta to be, you know, uh, laying off any of their high tech software roles. It would be more in the business processes side of things. Um, but then again, it's very hard to say because they haven't made any comments on who is, um, uh, you know, who's going to be laid off. Yeah, I think the statement from Mark Zuckerberg, which is widely available, mentioned things like, you know, human resources and the business side of the team. The, the human resources side makes sense if they're not going to be hiring anyone for the for the next wee while. They've increased their yep. hiring freeze to the end of Q1. He also mentioned things like, um, you know, their property portfolio. Do they need to have as many physical buildings as possible? And I think it's interesting to see these companies that have never before had to think about shrinking, think about shrinking. They've only ever expanded. They've only ever sort of wowed us with their vision. Um, And I do think it's interesting to see what happens next in that regard. Just one point on the issue of contractors. So we know that there's around 6,000 contractors who are working in support roles to Meta's operations here in Ireland. And while what you said is completely accurate, and and we got that in the statement from the Meta spokesperson, um, that, you know, the, the job cuts only impacts them. I do wonder if any of those third party contractors will now have to make job cuts as a result of scale backs in relation to Meta. And I'm not sort of directly correlating the two, but I don't think... It's a done deal yet. We, we, we probably won't know for some time in relation to the contractors impacted. Just to reiterate the point, I suppose Meta is saying that the job cuts announced this week will only impact their full-time staff, not the contractors. I, I want to move briefly to Twitter because uh, we're a week on from the job cuts. That was a, a mad day. Uh, and I'm sure the staff who were let go and the staff who were there are still kind of reeling from what went on. But we've also seen a lot of back and forths and a few U-turns this week in relation to the platform itself. Um, The big one that kind of got me chuckling the most was the introduction of the official badge, which was going to accompany the verified badge to distinguish between people who paid for the platform, i.e. those with a blue tick, and then those who are official pages. What did you make of this introduction and then removal? Well, I mean, the back and forth thing has been going on for a whole week with Twitter. I mean, the first time they did the back and forth thing was when they actually laid off people and then called some of them back is what I read. Um, some of them were being called back because they made a mistake in, in, in who they laid off or they didn't really anticipate, um, you know, uh, that they might need some of the roles that they laid off. Um, but then again, yes, the official... Uh, the label thing that happened uh, happened over one and a half days and he essentially started rolling out the official label for lots of um, specifically for those verified accounts that are of um, either like media companies or government organizations or even in like individuals um, there's there's a US YouTuber who uh, I think his name is Marquez Brownlee and he also got the official label because he's he's a public personality um, but then it was removed in a couple of hours and when he tweeted about it uh, Elon Musk replied by saying you know that he's killed the 
the, the, the label. Um, what I make of it is that they're essentially playing around at the minute. They're experimenting with things. It's it's not something that's unexpected from Elon Musk. Um, you know, usually these things happen in the beta testing phase where you're trying it out with a small number of people, but they rolled it out on mass and then they also rolled it back on mass. Um, uh, and, you know, the whole, whole idea behind it is that they're, they're trying to um, get subscriptions, people to pay for Twitter blue. And so your blue tick is not necessarily the same as saying that you're official or verified in, in a certain way, because um, no I, identification um, takes place when you get the blue tick. If you pay for it, it just it's in the future. If it goes through, it's just going to be a symbol of the fact that you pay for Twitter blue, whereas an official label um, would have been, you know, for for accounts that are of some so, some sort of import, um, such as governments and media. It strikes me as something that is so bonkers and something that should happen, as you said, in a test phase, rather than being rolled out with the most influential people in the world, noticing, questioning, then wondering where it's gone and then laughing about it. It's just, it is silly. And there has to be like, I am not a techie person in terms of behind the scenes at all. But you have to wonder, surely there's a better way to do this. They could leave the blue tick for people who are paying for Twitter blue and then change the official thing to grey or green or pink or there's loads of colours they could pick and just have the tick being a different colour. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Stephen King, I, I think you might remember, was yeah. it last week or early this week when Stephen King and Elon Musk got into sort of a Twitter fight, if you will, about the blue tick and how uh, Stephen King said he would never pay for, you know, even if it's just the eight eight dollars, he's not going to pay for it because um, the argument there is that you're already giving a, a free platform your data, and and Twitter is benefiting from all the data that you give it by through your tweets, and also there's that advertisements on the website that you get to see, so you're essentially like most social media companies, you're the product, so you shouldn't have to pay for something where you're actually giving value to Elon Musk is the argument. And I myself, I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to pay for um, for a blue tick uh, just to keep it. Um, so mm. we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, no, they did say, and again, this could change because everything is changing, but uh, a call, an internal call, reports of an internal call at Twitter said that they won't be taking the blue ticks from people who already have them. So if you already have a blue tick, you'll get to keep your blue tick. If people decide to pay for Twitter blue and they don't have a blue tick, they'll get a blue tick. And that's where the idea of the official badge came to try and distinguish. But clearly they haven't worked it out. So we will, of course, watch this space and live through every painful moment of this experience. Uh, Vishgain of Silicon Republic, thanks indeed for joining us. Thank you. Now let's take a look at some of the other stories that made the headlines this week. Tech News on Tech Talk. Apple TV 4K is now available in Ireland. The smaller design is packing a bit more of a punch than its predecessor. In terms of what can it do? Well, it's kind of what you'd expect from streaming TV to playing games. But there are some nice features to come with the 4K version, including HDR10 Plus support and the A15 Bionic chip that's inside the iPhone 14. Also worth noting, the Siri remote now has a USB-C connection. It is, however, on the pricey side of things, starting from 169. Mastodon has been hailed by many as the go-to place for those looking to ditch Twitter, but some are still struggling to understand how exactly it works. It's a decentralized platform that requires users to pick a server to sign up to, which in and itself is a different way of working to what the majority of us have encountered up until now with social media. The lack of clear moderation rules and some spats between users and journalists 
have quite a few people already looking at the platform with an arched eyebrow. And finally for now, US President Joe Biden was asked about Elon Musk on Wednesday. Here's the question asked by a journalist and his response. Mr. President, do you think Elon Musk is a threat to US national security and should the US and with the tools you have investigate his joint acquisition of Twitter with foreign governments, which include the Saudis? <laughs> I think that Elon Musk's cooperation and or technical relationships with other countries uh, is worthy of being looked at. Whether or not he is doing anything inappropriate, I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting that it's worth being looked at. Um, and, uh, um, and, uh, but that's all I'll say. There's a lot of ways. Uh, all right. Yeah, that was US President Joe Biden. Now, we know Joe Biden has expressed concern about big tech numerous times over the years. So it'll be interesting to see how this continued evolution of the new Twitter plays out, particularly as we approach another presidential election. As ever, I'd love to know what you think. Have you signed up for Mastodon? Is it the solution for those looking to leave Twitter? And will Biden put manners on big tech? Uh, You can email me at any stage, techtalk at newstalk.com. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, we'll get the latest gaming news, including an update on the PSVR 2. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Well, I suppose when I when I met him, um, and I can't put my finger on the absolute date that I met him, um, I just took to him. Um, he was he was he was he had a lovely face. He had a lovely smile. He was very bubbly. He was uh, very very sociable um, and friendly. He was generous and and lively and gossipy. And um, always impeccably groomed as well. And very out there sometimes in his choice, especially of jackets, you know. Um, you know, he wore, he'd wear bright, vivid colours. Um, and he was just, he was fun. He was, he was fun. He had, I mean, one-liners. If, if, if Charles didn't like something or didn't like something someone said, there would be an instant rejoinder and it could be withering, um, but usually very, very accurate. Um, I mean, you could have a kind of fear if you did get on the wrong side, which thankfully I didn't. Um, he really didn't give a damn about um, holding his opinion, if you like. That is a snippet of Inside the Crime Season 2 presented by Frank Graney. It tells the story of Charles Self, who was a talented set designer at RTE. He was a gay man that was brutally murdered 40 years ago here in Ireland. The perpetrator has never been found. It is an incredible story and well worth subscribing to. Just search for Inside the Crime on your podcast app. Now, it's time for this. Gaming on Tech Talk. Yeah, John Riley of TheEffect.net is with me now. John, uh, where do we begin? Uh, So we've got God of War Ragnarok. Um, It's a massive title that's just launched on the PS4 and the PS5 exclusively for that console. It's from their first party studio, Sony uh, Santa Monica Studios. Um, This game is pretty huge now because back in 2018, they somewhat reimagined the franchise and launched what was just kind of called simply God of War. And it was an incredible success, one endless game of the year awards and now here we are four years later for a title that came out 
just on Wednesday this week and to absolute rave reviews, about 94% on the the website Metacritic, um, the kind of the aggregator website. Uh, so yeah, it's a very, very successful title. We've been, we reviewed it on our site, give it five stars out of five. And uh, yeah, just a fantastic looking title for both consoles. Yeah, I played it during the week and it is just stunning. I'm curious, when you're doing your reviews, what's your rating system? Yeah, so we kind of break it down, depending on the title, we break it down between story in terms of how well the narrative is. Because if you want to play any game, you want a good story. Then you move on to the gameplay or the kind of the, the, the gameplay mechanics. Does it actually play well? Is it interesting? Is it intuitive? Is it just well executed? And then you move on to visuals, which some might say isn't, isn't important. You know, gameplay is going to win out over visuals any day. But still, you want a game that looks good, that kind of immerses you in the world you're playing in. And then finally, if the game has it, multiplayer. Um, basically, if there's an online portion of the game that lets you play against other friends uh, or against uh, foes from across the world, how well implemented that is, how effective that is in getting, you know, getting you onto games that are it's seamless, that you're not waiting around ages in these virtual lobbies. And then we just kind of score each of those out of five. And then the score itself then aggregates together to give us a kind of an overall score out of five stars. So it is a comprehensive review and for a new game to get five stars is a good thing, obviously, because we did have other gaming titles that were years in the making and highly anticipated, but then failed to deliver in WoW. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, we, you know, cyberpunk is unfortunately still a dirty word. Uh, no, well, just as of late, it's kind of seems to have redeemed itself with sales and whatnot. But it was a dirty word in the last number of years. There was the recent Gotham Knights game, which I think I spoke about on the last time we were on, um, a kind of a Batman-focused game with, that didn't actually have Batman in it. Big hype over this title, continuously delayed maybe two or three times. But still, the, the, the Batman fans were, were kind of eager to, to jump in and give it a go. But, you know, from the outside looking in, it looked like a comprehensively well-polished decent game but then the reviews started landing uh, suspiciously close to the actual launch title of a game and that kind of is something in the industry when when codes for titles aren't given to game reviewers until very last minute meaning they're either still working on the game or they don't want the reviewers or the reviews to go live too far out from its release that people cancel pre-orders or don't bother picking it up so it's kind of a, a cheap um, technique or tactic to kind of play the system but anyways gamers aren't stupid they realized there's something up here and then when the reviews did drop this Gotham Knights game just was not as polished wasn't as fun just didn't really deliver on any of the fronts and people expected especially comparing it to previous Batman games that were like huge successes so yeah you have to be careful really. Speaking of God of War apparently it's going to turn into a TV show now too. Yeah so Sony are as I think I've spoke about this before in the past you know they're smart about knowing that's you know, their consoles are successful and selling games on their, their PlayStation consoles is a very lucrative thing, but they know there's even more money to be made. So not only are they porting a lot of the more successful titles to the PC, so PC gamers can, can get stuck in, which is fantastic to see, really. Uh, they are kind of developing a lot of their, their most popular IPs or intellectual properties, such as God of War, such as Horizon to the streaming platform. So God of War, yes, uh, is in development of rumors are to be believed for an Amazon Prime video TV series. So, we, you know, I personally obviously can't wait to see what stuff like, you know, it's like the when the MCU formed from comic books, you know, I, I wasn't much of a comic book reader, but I love the MCU. But now that I'm such a good, such a big gamer, and I know there's been game movies and TV shows over the years, but these are big titles being put onto big platforms. I'm really excited to see where these kind of games and these shows go. Yeah. Uh, so moving on, we have an update on the PSVR 2. Yes. Yeah, so finally, and very subtly in a way, they just pushed out a kind of a blog post. This is PlayStation to announce the 
the launch date and the pricing for their brand new state-of-the-art PlayStation VR uh, virtual reality headsets too, coming out what is now officially next February 22nd, uh, 2023. But the kind of thing that threw a lot of the industry and a lot of gamers was the price tag. And let's be honest, when they kind of first announced the headset and they showed off the eye tracking capabilities, the high high dynamic range displays, the just the resolution of these panels, everything that they've packed into this headset is as future-proofed a VR headset as you can imagine. But unfortunately, that comes with a price tag of 500 99 uh, euro and 99 cents so 600 euro for this new headset next february uh, which is more expensive than the console the playstation 5 console that needed to play with this headset i saw the price and my initial question was will there be enough titles to justify the 600 euro price tag of the headset plus the cost of the console then as well yeah, so like obviously if you don't even have a console yet, um, you're going to be looking at, the, the, the unfortunately, up the prices of the consoles themselves because of inflation during the summer. So the the, the least expensive PS4 is now 450 and the one with the disk drive is 550. So you're looking at 550 euro and then 600 euro for the headset. So you're looking at 1150 for a VR experience from PlayStation, the, the latest VR experience from PlayStation. So that is incredibly expensive. There's no two ways about it. But if you are lucky enough to have a PS5 already, it's still another 600 euro to get this headset, one, one base price. And to your point about titles, they have announced about 20 or so titles, which is an impressive launch lineup. But, you know, if you kind of pick away at some of the more, some of these are kind of a stretch in terms of their capabilities of showcasing what the headset can do. Some of them are ports from PC titles. Um, some of them are even ports from Quest VR titles, the, the Meta Quest headset, which has been hugely popular over the last number of years. They're kind of wireless VR headset that, you know, the games are fun, but they don't look the parts. So there's only so much polish these developers can put on this kind of um, wireless headset title to make it look oppressive on this PS5 console. They do have a showpiece game, I think I spoke about it in the past, called Horizon Call of the Mountain, based in the Horizon world of games. Some of my favourite titles, the the Forbidden West title came out there earlier in the year, and this Call of the Mountain title is going to be like the showpiece title. It's going to showcase exactly what this headset is capable of when powered by the PS5. You can get a bundle that gives you the headset and this game for €650, so that's obviously the game comes with it and if anyone is listening and kind of checks out the youtube videos for this again from what i've read what i've heard what i've read it's going to be fantastic and you know videos 2d videos can only do so much but people said when you actually get to play it it's a it's a kind of a a, 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 a significant moment in virtual reality in terms of how much they've been able to achieve what do we know about the demand for the PSVR 2? Because I know there are gamers like yourself who are very excited about it, but do we think there'll be as much of a wow moment with it as the hype would have you believe? Um, that's a good question. And kind of reading through reading reading through Twitter, um, it kind of it's there's definitely a mixed uh, approach because you know at the end of the day, I know there's 25 million PlayStation fives sold right now or, or thereabouts since it launched two years ago, which is a really solid number. But that that's that's as big as an audience as they're ever going. Like it's obviously powered by the PlayStation Five, so they can't sell any more than that technically, unless they sell more consoles for the headset. So that's a kind of a finite audience to sell to. And then because of the price point, because of the times we're living in, and that VR in essence is still niche to a certain extent for gamers, um, sales. You know, Sony hasn't obviously come out to say what they're what they'd like to sell or what they're expected to sell in terms of headset, but I don't imagine it being all too 
um, big a number at all when it launches next February, especially after the Christmas rush. I'd imagine they were trying to get it out for Christmas, but just with demand for 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 pieces and for um, hardware um, parts, it just probably wasn't able to hit that window. Uh, so yeah, February is a bit of a funny one. But look at VR fanatics like myself and you know VR fans will pick it up, but that's going to be a very small number. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and the other point you kind of alluded to it is the, uh, I suppose, the supply or lack thereof. We know that there was a shortage of the PS5 and Xbox consoles when they came out. Do we anticipate an issue on that front when it comes to the PSVR 2? Not necessarily. I think PlayStation themselves have come out to say that demand or production levels have risen significantly. People, you know, friends of mine are texting me saying they've walked into a store recently and picked up uh, a PS5 pretty uh, suspiciously easily, which is great to hear that, you know, I know unfortunately it's been two years, but now people can have a bit more confidence going into the local game store or going online to see stock of the new console. So when it comes to the headset, I don't think they're going to be making millions and millions and millions of them. So people that do want them, I'd imagine the, the, the availability will be there uh, for gamers, hopefully. All right. And uh, finally for this week, the EU has opened an investigation into the Microsoft Activision Blizzard merger. Yeah, so this has been ongoing all this year since January, where um, Microsoft, who own Xbox, were looking to buy one of the biggest gaming companies in the world, a third-party agency called Activision Blizzard. These guys are one of the biggest players um, out there, and they have the one of the famous Call of Duty franchise. So there's been a lot of uh, debate back and over. Is it you know is it uh, is it is it okay for them to take such a chunk of the market and make it their own? Uh, so a lot of these uh, competitors. Uh, Kind of the FTC or the Federal Trade Commission in the US is looking into it. The UK's Competition and Markets Authority are looking in to see if it's going to be too much of a, a monopoly. PlayStation are crying foul, saying, look, at if they take Activision, they'll take Call of Duty. We can't have a, a gaming uh, ecosystem where Call of Duty is only on one platform for gamers. It's just not fair. But Xbox have said repeatedly, we will make sure Xbox or Call of Duty is also on PlayStation because it'll make them just as much money because of the, the the royalties from it, as long as, as also being on the Xbox. So it's an ongoing story. The EU have, have decided that they're going to push out their investigation for another six months. So it'll be next March before we find out exactly if the EU as a territory is happy with the, the acquisition to go ahead. All right, great stuff as ever from John Riley, the editor of TheEffect.net. John, thanks so much. Cheers, Jess, thanks. When we come back here on News Talk, we're going to take a look at what's going on for Science Week. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. If you want to get in touch at any stage, you can email me techtalk at newstalk.com. Now, Science Week is taking place from the 13th to the 20th of November with events running right across the country, both in person and online. And we're going to talk to some of those who are hosting different workshops, different classes, different activities. And I'm delighted to say the first of whom is... Neve Shaw. Uh, Neve, you are very welcome back to Tech Talk. Just give me a bit of a rundown as to what you are doing uh, for Science Week. Well, I, I, it's always the busiest time of the year for me, Jess. And like, I, I have a plan to do something and then people go, will you do this? Will you do that? So it, it's ever expanding. But if I just give you a, a run through, the main thing that I'm working on this year is a return of um, a live stream show called Science Week Live. I've been working with TY students across Ireland, um, really trying to break down what science means for them. So more than just what they're learning in school, 
where does science come into their lives? And um, lots of conversations and topics that they're interested in just naturally emerged. And they're going to report on the science of, of what they're interested in and uh, conduct interviews with some experts in that field and review all the different activities to happening during Science Week that they're particularly interested in and the regional science festivals that are that are that are local to them. So that's Science Week Live that goes out Monday, Wednesday and Friday uh, from 2.45 to 3.15 on the SFI YouTube channel. We're very excited about that I'm just so happy with that lots of work and and some multimedia multimedia science communication delight so there's that um and then um i'm working with uh, the first dublin science festival come here till i tell you um uh lovely phil smith asked me to um to do a kind of in conversation with event with them and that's on sunday the 20th um i'm also then involved with loud science festival you know it's uh, it's my local festival so i've been working with them all year on a number of activities and they're kind of coming to um fruition shall we say um, uh, this this weekend and then next weekend. So one is that I've been working with a group of mothers um, whose children are in school and they've been kind of falling in love again with uh, their thirst for, for knowledge and information and they're going to be giving presentations on Saturday about one topic that particularly appealed to them in, well we've been, we've been working together since April so I'm, I'm really proud about that one. Um, I'm doing a, a talk on Saturday for Loud Science Festival at three, it's a family talk. I think it's sold out but it's no harm to tell people about it. It's a two clock in Dundalk Library and then um, in Tala Library on the 19th um, it's International Men's Day and you know a lot of what I do is, a pro- is about promoting uh, women in STEM and I just sort of felt you know we should also give thanks to the great men that uh, champion um, all minorities and, and all women in STEM so I'll be tuning in live via Zoom with two uh, great men that I know that work in the space sector that created a career for themselves that they left very ordinary jobs and they then decided that they wanted to be a part of space so so that's quite a technical show for all the techies in Tala Library next Saturday at, at, at 2pm and then there's more there's school workshops and people ask me to visit schools so I always do it this week and, and uh, it's just always an honour of celebrating science in all its forms Yeah so there's plenty there if you didn't have your pen and paper you can go to sfi.ie and you'll see all the events uh, and indeed the ones that Neve just mentioned there. Neve, I want to pick up on what you were talking about there, uh, the first one that you mentioned in relation to getting students to think about science beyond what's in their textbook because I was the kid in school that I was so interested in science but I was always rubbish when it came to the exams. When you're engaging with the students, how do you get across that it's not a dull, stuffy, very heavy book, uh, book heavy subject in school. Well, I immediately tell them that this isn't about any of the books that you have in school. And I tell them that what you learn in school are sort of definitions and terms and the basic structure of if you were to pursue a career in science. Because it's kind of like, I feel sometimes the way I was taught science in school, and I loved it like you, Jess, but essentially we were learning grammar Mm -hmm. for for science so it was kind of like taking an English taking the English course and only ever learning grammar and never being allowed read or watch a movie or write an essay or read a poem you know and and we're so fixated on the 
on the the data end of it and and the method that oftentimes we forget to remind people that science is everywhere. And so how I how I kind of say that to them and that's kind of wow, because then they realize this isn't about passing an exam. I talk about the things that they're interested in. I find out about their hobbies and uh, we start conversations that way. We, we play a few improv games. I use a lot of play and theater games to um, to see what they're interested in. And, uh, you know, mental health comes up. Um, there's sports that they're interested in, social media, um, music, um, vaccines. Um, what else came up this year? Um, and they've made like science reports, but all of them. So so one school is looking at the effect of music on our mood and our psychological state, which is fascinating. Another one's looking at the HPV vaccine. Another one's looking at, at future, how, how we as a species are going to adapt uh, in the future and, and will tech kind of become part of who we are like so it's it's effectively what's known as transhumanism they didn't know that that's what it was called but that's that's what they were pursuing they led all those conversations mm-hmm. you know um i i didn't they um and also space obviously came up you know i mean that's a given when i'm around but but there i didn't ever say any of those topics they they said them and and they're the ones that came up. So so we just started conversations and we we googled a few things and I said look at this and look at this and some of them learn by video. Like I'm a visual person, so that's what I would always do. I would always Google something first and watch a video, <clears throat> and then I would then I would dig deeper then by text and stuff. Some of them are readers and some of them listen to podcasts, but they were all inspired in different ways. And and I really didn't get involved once they decided what their topic was. You know, um, the TY teachers kind of stepped in and they made sure that they had a a structure and and a sort of some sort of um, analysis of what it is that they were trying to understand better. So they made amazing explainer videos and some of them did kind of, you know, like surveys or or a a sort of a a critical analysis on a topic. And, And and incredibly, they're incredibly articulate. And once you give them permission to put science into their own lives um, it the, the it just they naturally understand and then they're off, you know, and we did it last year. And, and the one thing they said they got the most out of uh, making the program with me was making the science reports that they hadn't really thought about sport in a scientific mm-hmm. way or, uh, you know, so we did the science of chocolate as well last year when we did uh, all low, uh, mental health was a big one and what love was and uh, how that affects your body your bio you know neurologically and then and then from a chemical point of view as well so you just give them the freedom to take science out of the textbook away from an exam and empower them to just google and explore and ask questions yeah and i think that's the beautiful thing that comes when you engage students you know younger people yeah. when it comes to science i had a brilliant biology teacher for 5th and 6th year in school her name yeah. was inni kahan her classes were always <laughs> about demonstrating what photosynthesis is you know getting a plant and actually showing how it works and it does take your brain into another space when you can physically see it these kids are realizing that science can unlock potential problems or it can give them a greater understanding about solving issues beyond just this one science week and beyond just their school education it's going into life as well yeah absolutely that's it and it's it's because you know I think when you're in school you're so used to being told what to do you you kind of don't think that a subject actually has any relevance in your life and when you start to get them to see it they're off Mm -hmm. like social media one in particular 
they realized that they could, you know, analyze like in a, in a sort of a scientific, using the scientific method, what effect social media had on them. So this year's um, uh, students um, they, uh, from, from the St. Louis and Dundalk, they were very interested in the impact of social media on your health, your mental health. And so uh, two of them, uh, one of them did, a, one of them just used social media in the normal way. One of them just stayed on it the whole time and the other one didn't didn't use it at all. The girl who didn't use it at all said she felt calmer. She didn't really, like it, the first day it was hard, but then she didn't really miss it. And the girl that was using it all the time said, you know, she was, she really just didn't feel settled at any time and she found it difficult to sleep and, you know, she couldn't keep up with all the things that she was trying to do. And then obviously the normal one then was sort of the control. So, and they didn't really approach it. Like I, I wanted them to kind of take data and everything. And they didn't do it that way. They just literally just absorbed how they felt and then they kind of reported reported how, back how they felt and we tried to put a little bit more of a of a scientific structure on that but mm. but I think it's 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 that connection between this is a theory this is a way of seeing information and then kind of relating it to this is the thing that you're interested in which requires a certain amount of learning so we're just asking you to look at that learning that you've had from a scientific perspective and I hope that it's a it's um it's a way of seeing that science is in their life in, in anything that they do and that they develop their own own way forward about where science um, is for them in their lives. And, and yes, it's a media, you know, then it's also like subliminally helping them to overcome their shyness and, and realize like speaking publicly isn't as scary as it, as it should be. But it's also for the students that that aren't readers because mm -hmm. I, I do believe like um you know that the state exams are are skewed towards people that are readers i wasn't really a reader like i was a visual person um and so it's it's to help people understand that you know uh, science belongs outside of the textbook and it belongs in your life and just because as you say jess just because you're not an a student in science doesn't mean you can't say oh sci i was never good at science that's the thing i want to eradicate forever yeah, absolutely. As I said, there's a full list of activities, not just for secondary school kids, but for younger kids as well on sfi.ie. And Eve, before I let you go, we have to talk about space. It wouldn't be an interview oh, with you yeah. if we didn't talk about space. Oh, yeah, um, let's do it. So obviously there was a lot of talk about space when the billionaires built their rockets and went for a little spin. Mm -hmm. uh, has that overshadowed the rest of the work that's going on in terms of space exploration and understanding, or is there still plenty more to be done? Oh, it didn't overshadow it at all. They're two completely different things. You know, one is, one is, um, you know, people who have their own dreams and their own ambitions to go to space. And that's fine. You know, if, if we all had that kind of money, you know, maybe, maybe we would, we would spend it that way, but they come and go and they disappear and they don't mm -hmm. really leave a lasting impact because those expeditions are for themselves and themselves alone. They're, they're not really about, you know, connecting with people. You have one exception that Jared Isaacson, who's genuinely trying to, he's genuinely trying to create, you know, intermingle or, or co co uh, collaborate with the space agencies like he's he his group is the polaris group and he's he genuinely wants to help keep hubble going long term so so he's unique and um and his team definitely they spend much longer training and everything so he i think he 
he's he's doing something very interesting that might be more long lasting. But but I mean, aside from that, there is so much going on um, across all the different um, space agencies. So what's going on with with NASA and the European Space Agency at the moment, of course, is the Artemis mission. It's now on the launch pad and it's due to launch for the third time now on the 14th of November. Unfortunately, I won't be there, but I will be live streaming if people want to join me. Although today there was news that um, um, there's another storm coming, so they, they may have to delay it another few days. Um, you have that going on. So that's that's returning to the moon. That's like a 50 or 60 years worth of work right there. Um, already 10, 10 or 12 years into it. But but, you know, once we once we successfully launch that test, um, um, you know, Artemis um, uh, uh, rocket and and Orion capsule, then then we'll be able to move forward on that. You've also got like huge science missions like the James Webb Space Telescope that's only still showing us what it's capable of, showing us comparison photographs between what the Hubble has taken and what it's now taking using um, infrared imagery. You've got um, all the satellites that are looking down on Earth, the Earth observation satellites that are constantly telling us where we are in terms of our climate, but also how to use that how to use that information for uh, businesses on Earth, but also for understanding how to take better care of of ourselves and and our climate. Um, you've got a plan then for for another telescope to come down the line that's even more powerful than than the James Webb. Um, we've got our AirSat launching in the next even just in you know in local news we've got the um, the first Irish satellite launching in early January that's been made by a bunch of, of postgrad students in UCD through the European Space Agency's Fly Your Satellite program. There is no end of inf- I wouldn't be able to um, <laughs> I never I, I never ever have enough time to talk about all the things that are going on in space. Well, so you we'll are, never run out of things. We'll never we'll have to have you on again and we'll just see how yeah. long out of the hour long show we can just talk about all the exciting <laughs> things that are going on. It's always a joy uh, to talk to you and to hear the work that you're doing uh, in your own right, but also giving back to the younger generations to get them excited in science. Uh, Neve Shaw, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks, Jess. Now, another brilliant woman who has plenty going on uh, for Science Week is Catherine McGuinness. She's a zoologist, an educator, tour guide, curator, bit of everything. Uh, Catherine, you're very welcome to the show. What, what do you have lined up for this year's Science Week? Um, the week before Science Week, um, I'm taking part in the Cavan Monaghan Science Festival and I'm visiting schools for that. And then during Science Week itself, I'm in two different places. I'm in Dundalk County Museum talking about Leopold McClintock, the Arctic explorer. And then I'm down in Burr Castle doing something very different. I'm pond dipping with schools. Okay, I'm instantly intrigued. Uh, tell me about the pond dipping. <laughs> so the pond dipping, what we're going to do is we're going to look at ecology, what, what the, the science of ecology is, why we study ecology, why we look at ecosystems, why we study the animals inside them, what the health of the ecosystem tells us about it, and then also just how to identify animals that we find. And we have a lovely um, pond in Burke Hasselman in, in the uh, gardens. So we, so we have a lovely pond area and we have a very, very safe pond dipping space. So we go down with our long uh, handled nets and we put them into the mud at the bottom of the pond and bring up all sorts of creepy crawlies and insects. And what age group of kids are we talking about here? So we're actually splitting it amongst a few different groups. Because ecology is part of the junior and the leaving cert cycle, I will have some junior certs and TYs, but I also have some primary schools coming in with me as well. We were talking to Neve a few minutes ago about the importance of taking science out of a textbook and 
you know, applying it in real life, and that really does apply to uh, ecology. I remember when I was doing geography for my Leaving Cert, our teacher took us out and we were looking at different rocks and we were looking at all kinds of everything uh, in a beautiful part of the world. And it really stuck with me. And and as I said to Neve, those experiences of getting out and understanding that everything you see is connected to science really does make a lasting impact, particularly with young people. It does. And it's quite interesting because I had a similar experience in school. I always loved animals growing up. I grew up on a farm. So for me, if you wanted to work with animals as a grown up, you'd be a vet or a farmer. And I couldn't see any other option. And actually, when I was in junior search, our, our our teacher, Mary Byrne in Eureka in Kells and County Mead, she's still there. Um, she brought us on an ecology field trip to Burcastle, of all places. And uh, I did an ecology course. And the person, the, the guy who taught the course, he had done science in UCD. And after talking to him, I realised, oh, you know, science is not just a white coat in a lab with chemicals. It's 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 everything and it's all around us. And so it was actually, it was that, it was that field trip Tuber led me to do environmental biology and then a PhD in zoology in college. Looking beyond Science Week, and you've sort of alluded to it there, but this isn't something we should just be engaging people on for one week or two weeks of the year. There are plenty of activities and museums and tours that people can do, regardless of the age of the young person they're going with, or even as an adult as well. There, there are plenty of places to go here in Ireland if you are interested in science. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I mean, the, you've got the different observatories uh, like Dunsink and, and Blockrack. And then you have the, the Lifetime Lab down in Cork. I mean, you have the, the Natural History Museum and the Archaeology Museum in, in Dublin, the National Museum. Um, you know, up, up in Belfast, W5 is amazing. And, and over in Galway as well. I mean, Galway, Lantaquaria, all the different aquariums around the country. There's there's so much you can do and see. And, and they do workshops for everyone. And, and, a, and a lot of the workshops as well. Well, I mean, they're, they're they're very cost effective or, you know, they're free a lot of the time as well. It's just getting there. So, you know, and, and it's, it's it's just lovely to see in, in the last couple of years how everything has come on. And also that the last two years with the pandemic didn't slow us down. You know, everything just moves effortlessly online and, and that even made it wider open to a much wider audience because where maybe travel might be prohibitive for someone attending a workshop you know watching um, a webinar or taking part in an online course suddenly made it that much more accessible as well yeah well look there's no shortage of activity over the coming days you can head to sfi.ie for a full breakdown uh, but Catherine thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk You're welcome. Thanks so much. And that is it for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's News Talk Breakfast. But in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your weekend.